it certainly is Christmas at Life Center. Did you like the decorations? Yes, I love Christmas. We've did, had yeah. Christmas. Did at you did you see what they added us for uh, for us here? What little spot to hang your mask? Isn't oh, that just look nice? it! That like was that? just for you. We we yeah. set that up just for your mask. I like it. I don't think so that's the welcome. I don't think that's the intent, but you're welcome, everybody. <laughs> We've had Christmas at the Boucher household since November second. Yeah, bah so I think I've been holding this back for an entire month, but I am going to say Merry Christmas, everyone. No, 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 no. It's like it's way too soon. Christmas Eve, we can say Merry Christmas. So you're telling me that you can only say Merry Christmas. Yeah, it's a new rule. On Christmas. Yeah, the province. It's new guidance. It's new yeah. guidance. It's just new guidance. I don't abide by rules like that. Sorry. Watch yourself, lovey. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, what are you doing? Just little jokes. Just little jokes. <laughs> just little jokes. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, it truly is Christmas at Life Center. And we're so excited to be starting our new Christmas series, God with us. And I think Caleb set us up so beautifully because it truly is our heart this year that we would have our, an even deeper revelation that God is with us and the profound impact that that has on our everyday life, on our following Jesus. Last year, we also used God with us. If you were with us last year, you might have remembered. And intentionally, this was an intentional decision that we felt, no, God with us is going to be with us for a few years because this is something that we need to be reminded of and we need this revelation to go very deep into our hearts and to our spirits. Just before we get started into the message, I do want to give a shout out online to everyone online. Welcome. Good to see you all. But one special person that is watching online, Gloria Hutchison, happy birthday. It's your birthday today. She is a mentor of mine and a dear sister here in our congregation. I just want to give you a shout out. We hope you have the most amazing happy birthday ever. Now, if you're here today and your birthday is in December, would you just give me a little wave? If you have a December birthday, listen, you guys get a bit ripped off. So for everyone here today, if your birthday is in December, a happy new car. birthday. Oh, wouldn't that be awesome? No, it wouldn't be awesome. That would be so great. But we do. We want to just say happy birthday. If you're celebrating a birthday in December, I'm sorry. You do get a little ripped off, but I'm going to give you a little tip. I had a really good friend whose birthday was in December, and she used to always tell me that when people wrap your birthday present in Christmas wrapping paper, it's very offensive. So listen, if you've got a family member and their birthday's in December, do not wrap it in Christmas wrapping paper. Or we never do that for your dad. Just tell them to be grateful they're getting a gift at all. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 You can see. Are you okay? Are you alive? You can see. Okay, you, you showed up and that's good. <laughs> now you got to wake up. <laughs> Turn the person beside you, look them right in the eyeballs. Don't touch them, but just look at them and just say, You're here, you're alert, let's go. And say, Merry Christmas. Merry, don't say Merry Christmas <laughs> till the 24th. Merry Christmas. Well, with yeah. Christmas well, comes Christmas movies. My favorite. I did watch one this weekend. It was not a Hallmark one. How many love the Hallmark Christmas movies? Come on, let me see you. I know some of you out there, men, women. Listen, men, you be proud if you like them. I, I'm with you. You're my friend. Listen, people who like Hallmark Christmas movies are people who like happiness. That's, do you like them? No. I don't, no, I don't. Because there's not, saying. there's no such thing as Christmas Hallmark movies. It is a singular movie with the same plot yeah. over and over again. Yeah. I, you know, this is, a, you see this online, but if Hallmark can be classified as movies, then Die Hard is a Christmas movie as well. <laughs> I think it is. 
I actually think it is. It is. It's not on my Christmas movie list, though. It's on mine. <laughs> well, Christmas movies really do tap into a space inside of us, this desire to see the wrongs of the world made right. And the Christmas plot of most Christmas movies has this in it, uh, the belief in something grander than yourself. But you, if you're not a Hallmark Christmas movie lover, Actually, where's Alan and Lori? Did I see you guys here today? They get to go on the set of Hallmark movies. That, I think I saw them in the middle somewhere. Anyways, if they're not here, Alan and Lori, I, that is awesome. But maybe you're more of a Christmas classic movie, like Charles Dickens. I said Dickinson in the first service. <laughs> Charles Dickens' classic, A Christmas Carol of an elderly, miserable, greedy man who gets visited by... Why are you looking at me when I'm you're doing not. all those characteristics? I wasn't talking to you like I wasn't... I, well, I believe the expression I the kids know. would use is, I felt something there called shade. Whoa, whoa, I was throwing... I was just... I, I was learned just, that on the TikTok. This is I'm identifying, because I know you resonate more with the classic, with the classic, the, the wrestle, the deep internal wrestle. And he's, you know, visited by the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future, and turns into a more softer, gentler man who loves Christmas mm. after God, that. God bless us, everyone. And... <laughs> good one. These movie plots... And honestly, even the story of our life, they connect us to belief in something grander. And Donald Miller describes it kind of like this. Again, these plots we see in movies, these plots we see sort of play out in our own story. He says a character has a problem, then meets a guide who gives them a plan and calls them to action. And that action either results in a comedy or a tragedy. And yes, unfortunately, sometimes it plays out just like that. So what if for us over the next few weeks, we tell a timeless story by inviting you to look at three different guides that are present in our lives and how the arrival of Jesus should change our relationship with these guides. Fear, how we think, and how we act. And so I want to start today by asking you a few questions. Questions just to get you thinking about your relationship with fear. What role does fear play in your story? Do you love to be loved by others? Are you afraid to let people down so maybe you overcommit? Are you a people pleaser? Do you get crushed by criticism? Do you live in fear of offending or hurting others or maybe the fear of being rejected yourself? You know, when we really think about it, the journey of our lives really is a journey of moving from fear to love. And fear creeps into our lives in a variety of different ways. It looks different for all of us. And even in just some practical or literal ways, some people are afraid of the dark. Some people are afraid of spiders. Some people are afraid to get hurt or to hurt someone they care about or to be rejected or just to fail. Each one of us have different fear triggers, things that we get tripped up on in the area of fear. But fear also can serve a helpful purpose in our life because fear actually can protect us from certain dangers. But when it gets rooted into our hearts, when fear becomes the motivation for our actions, then it harms our ability to be able to give and to receive love. And actually, fear makes it impossible to live out the action of love. What do the scriptures say? It says, perfect love casts out all fear. 
Do we really believe this? Do we live this way? Could love literally be the answer to all our fears? And the answer to that question is yes, and his name is Jesus. Mm -hmm. And in my story, my own personal story, fear has sought to be a guide in my life uh, since I was a boy. And in my own life, uh, fear uses true circumstances. Everyone say true circumstances. Fear uses true circumstances to lead me to often untrue or unknown conclusions. So again, as a boy, I had fear or anxiety around being alone. So being alone, it was the imagination of what could happen. It never did happen, but what could happen, that was an issue when I was a child, as a teen, making a wrong decision regarding my future and the weight. In my 20s, I had digestive issues, really strong digestive issues in my 20s and 30s. And so I developed a fear of just even going out, even driving from here to there. What if I got stuck? And by stuck, you can fill in the gap. Like just massive digestive issues that didn't know what to do with them. And then even the last couple of years, you know, how do you know that loving and living and leading through a pandemic is no picnic for any one of us? And the reality is it doesn't really matter which decide or which decision you make. There's going to be people who are going to be critical of it, disagreeing with you of it. And so again, what if we make this decision and this amount of people leave? Or what if we make this decision and they leave? And so those things want to be a guide. They want to get a hold of my heart and life. And unholy fear is this. It is always an invitation to subject yourself to an inferior authority than Jesus. That's what it is. It's an invitation for you to subject yourself to an inferior authority than Jesus. When fear begins to become your guide, what's the symptom? What does it look like? Well, for all of us, no matter what the guide, where fear is leading us, kind of what it, what it fleshes out, there's a unique symptom, there's a, or there's a similar symptom, I should say, in all of our hearts, and it is this. It is the erosion of peace. You will find yourself... Finding just this erosion of peace. And oftentimes when peace begins to erode within your whole heart, you know what would become? It would become critical of everything outside. But here's what I want you to know. It's not the media. It's not this. It's not that. It's not all of these things. Though they could be problematic in of themselves. No, what Jesus said is when the Prince of Peace rules our hearts, those things can be what they are. But we are calm. Here's what I want you to know, church. I have no worries about the end times of things. Why? Because I trust the one who holds the end times things in his hands. And so I don't live in fear of what is to come because I know that the same Jesus who's been faithful from Abraham all the way to me is the same Jesus who's going to be faithful to the end, okay? So I don't live in fear, nor do I have to control all those things. I can't control those things, never could in the first place. I'm not diminishing them. I am just saying when fear begins to become our guide, we have an erosion of peace, peace in our thinking and our emotions and then our actions. Calm in here is replaced by chaos. And, you know, one who has fear as their guide is found in the original Christmas story. And the Bible teaches that King Jesus was born during the time of King Herod. Now, in the book of Matthew, you'll notice Matthew begins with the genealogy. It roots in the humanity. This is who Jesus was. This is who Jesus was. You could trace his lineage from this person all the way here. That's what the book of Matthew does if you're going through that. The book of John starts completely differently. Same gospel, but differently. John actually talks about this divinity of Jesus, that he is the word who became flesh. Same story, different perspective. And then you can go all the way to Revelations that has the Christmas story in it as well, but it's from this warfare cosmic place. It's this beautiful thing that you can do. But today we're talking about it from the book of Matthew. And Matthew, I would imagine, wants us to compare and contrast 
King Jesus with another king named Herod. It says Herod maintained, or the Bible teaches us again, that Jesus was born during the time of Herod. And Herod maintained order in Israel by protecting the western flank for the Roman Empire. Under Caesar Augustus, Herod was given a title. Guess what his title was? The King of the Jews. This was his title. King Herod's title was the King of the Jews. But fear was Herod's guide, which made him both powerful and successful as a king, but also incredibly, incredibly unpredictable and cruel. Because the Jewish people never accepted Herod as their king, their hearts were fixed on a different Messiah. He had this consistent fear of being overthrown, which again made him unbelievably cruel towards others. Power, power always reveals what was always there. You want to see someone's true character, give them power. It doesn't corrupt them, it reveals the corruption that was already there in existence and so guided by fear, King Herod, he executed his wife, he executes his three sons, he gets married again, and he has his new wife executed, and he also executed his mother-in-law. There's a joke there, but it's not funny, and I'm going to keep going. Good job. His life, his, I, I didn't, why, you, it's not even funny. I said it's not funny, we're not saying it. But his life is so guided by fear. Listen to this, man. His life is so guided by fear that historians say this that just before his death, fearing that nobody would mourn his dying, that he rounded up the leading Jewish people in the, in the city of Jerusalem and he had them executed just so there would be mourning in Israel at the time of his death. The reign of Herod and the birth of Jesus intersect as the song that we sang today, as magi from the east follow a star. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 2 says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who is born, ah, where is he who is born King of the Jews? That's Herod's title, insecurity. For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. And then verse three goes on to say, when King Herod heard that there was another king of the Jews. He was deeply disturbed. And then it said, because he was guided by fear, all of Jerusalem felt his disturbance. When fear is our guide, again, a persistent symptom is the erosion of peace, first in us and then felt by others. Where peace should reign in our hearts, fear brings insecurity, anxiety, worry, and dread. So when King Herod hears that there was a prophecy found in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler. Everyone say a ruler. Once again, that's Pharaoh, I'm sorry, that's Herod's job. A ruler who will shepherd my people Israel, guided by fear, with no peace, he disturbs all of Jerusalem as Pastor Lori is going to take us or engage with us now and how he disturbs the peace of Jerusalem. That's right. Well, fear, again, as an emotion or just a feeling is not inherently sinful. In fact, it can sometimes be helpful and even God-given. I mean, I feel afraid if I'm driving in my car and someone swerves into my lane and starts driving straight at me. I can feel afraid. I feel afraid if my child runs out into the street and I see a car coming or even now parenting adult children when I 
I see them making choices or decisions that I feel could be harmful for them, I can feel the feeling of fear or feeling afraid. And, you know, it was a real revelation to me to understand that God actually was the one that gave us our emotions. Our emotions and feelings are what makes us different from other breathing creatures that God created. They give us the capacity to love, the capacity to be in relationship with one another, and the capacity to be in relationship and connected with God. But for myself, if I'm really honest, I am much more drawn and attracted to feeling the good feelings. You know what I'm talking about, joy and, and peace and happiness. And, and even Hallmark. Everything that Hallmark makes me feel, exactly. And I know you Hallmark lovers probably <laughs> have a similar attraction. Even fear offers a certain thrill that I can be drawn to. I, I, I don't mind that feeling, but when it comes to sadness, when it comes to anger, those are feelings I sort of want to just shove down and not deal with and not, not feel at all. And I was in counseling one time and the, the therapist said, no feelings in and of themselves are bad or good. And it actually was a revelation for me because sometimes when I did feel sad, I thought maybe I was wrong to feel the bad emotion. Well, emotions in and of themselves are not inherently good or bad. They just are emotions and feelings. But what we do with those feelings can lead to things that are unhealthy or healthy. And that was very helpful for me. But there's also, and I love how you said it, holy fear. There's a godly fear, a fear that is actually spoken about in the scriptures. The scriptures say that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. But when fear sets into our heart and becomes a guide or a motivator or takes a root in my heart, it is both unhealthy and it does not come from God. In fact, it is a demonic attack that seeks to remove Christ's lordship over our life that seeks to actually call down Christ as master over all things and tempts us, draws us in to take matters into our own hand. You see, fear as a guide, it begins to whisper into our hearts this lie that says we need to have control. We need to have control over the situation. We need to have control over the people in our lives. And this belief that says, I will find peace only when I have control. But this is a deception. This is a deception because it places us continually under the thumb of fear. Fear no longer is just a guide, but actually becomes our master. It becomes our small G God, something we begin to serve. Now, I want to just run through a couple of statements just to see if some of these sound familiar. Do you hear yourself saying these things to yourself? And if you do, there may be some connections with fear that you might want to address in your own life today. Do any of these sound familiar? I know they're going to leave me. It's only a matter of time. I'm going to end up alone. I'm going to fail. I, I just can't do it. I'll look foolish. I'll, I'll be embarrassed. I will be betrayed. It's inevitable. They're going to let me down. I'm going to let them down. I can't live up to these expectations. I just don't have enough. I'm not enough. You see, these kinds of negative self-talk 
may have a root of fear in our life, a root that is motivating our actions. And all actions that are motivated by fear are the opposite of the way of love because the way of love is the way of life and freedom. And it's the way of intimate relationship with one another and intimate relationship with God. The way of fear is the way of death and destruction, death and destruction to all of our relationships, especially our relationship with God. And in our story today, with fear as his guide, Herod does the unthinkable thing. We're going to read a little more about it in Matthew 16 to 8, Matthew 2, verse 16 to 18. It says, then Herod, when he realized that he'd been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. In keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. Then what was spoken through Jeremiah, the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they were no more. And in writing that very first Christmas story, Matthew does want us to contrast these two different kings, King Herod and King Jesus. One driven by fear and control, the other driven by love and surrender. And to establish his crown, one king kills anyone or anything threatening his reign. And the other displays his kingship by willingly laying down his life as an act of love for all who would be invited into his kingdom. One uses power over vulnerable children for his own personal gain, and the other protects the vulnerable and actually warns us to watch out if harm comes to any child. One king's life is rooted by fear and control, and King Jesus, his is guided only by the fear of the Lord. You see, the fear of the Lord is not an emotion. It's being so confidently rooted in the character of the king that you trust him with everything because King Jesus is trustworthy. Think of the Jewish, Jewish shepherds back in that day. All that they would have known of kings is hardship, which is why the announcement of a brand new king came with this disclaimer that said, don't be afraid. I, I have good news for you. I mean, that message and also the fact that the angel itself probably would have been extremely terrifying to see. And in Luke 2 verses 8 to 10, it says in the same region, the shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I think it's so interesting that these shepherds were keeping watch at night. When does fear often creep in? It's at night, because fear is a part of the darkness. It's a part of the evil plan of our enemy. And you and I are called in this season, probably now more than ever, to keep watch, to be alert to how the enemy is trying to place a root of fear in our life to get us to trust something that is inferior to the one who has overcome all of our fears. And I love how the ESV version says, they were filled with great fear 
Again, to feel fear is not wrong or sinful. But the angel said, don't be afraid. Don't let fear become a guide or a root or a motivator in your life. Don't let fear attach itself to your identity, to your being. This verse continued with the angel saying to the shepherds and saying to you and me today, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. We see right in the scripture, great fear and great joy. This news is for you, this news is for me, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. I want you to say Jesus. Acts says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the works of fear. Saved from the works of darkness that actually want you to get you to not place Jesus as Lord of your life. If you and I believed today that Jesus conquered fear on the cross through his death and through his resurrection, then we can reject every lie that fear seeks to whisper in our ears. Because you have been saved from great fear to great joy. And it is not simply a feeling. It is part of your being. It's part of your inheritance. It's part of your identity. You see, when fear is motivating your actions, you need to tap into the inheritance of the joy of your salvation. Let joy motivate our actions and let that joy lead us straight into the perfect love of King Jesus. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. If you think about Jesus, what did he say over and over and over again? I do nothing of my only accord. I only do that which I see the Father doing. In perfect submission to the Father, whom he could trust completely because Jesus knew the character of his Father, he lived with peace, though everything around him was not peaceful. He was a non-anxious presence everywhere he went. Now contrast that again with King Herod. King Herod was under the rule of Rome. Rome, not always good, not always predictable. So out of fear to please, his life lives out of a deformed character by these things. He lives a completely different life than King Jesus. And so again, reading Matthew chapter 2, you're going to see Matthew write again and again, multiple times, that Herod the Great is dead. And King Jesus also dies. But in the story of Jesus, if we were to continue to read from the manger all the way to the tomb, we see that when women approached the tomb of Jesus, they were invited to ask a very different question that is poignant of all of us today. And the question is this, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And so fear is a real thing, but it's an inferior thing. And it is something that is dead in the sense that it is something that King Jesus conquered. And so why do we look for life in dead things? Let me just go back for a moment and show you what that looks like on a personal level as we conclude. In my own heart and life, I shared with you, in leading Life Center, during the, especially the first little bit of the pandemic, I was very, very nervous if we made this decision or anxious if I made this decision or that decision. Are we being overly cautious or not cautious? All those different types of things, trying to figure it out. And so here's the fear, once again, as I shared, if I do this, then these people are going to leave. And if I do that, then these people are going to leave. You can't live in that as a leader. So you've got to get to a deeper truth. Church, here's the deeper truth. 
The deeper truth is Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And so if I can abide from there, and it's not easy, but if you can ground your heart there, then here's what I want you to know. If you lined up 100 people, did some people leave? Yeah. But 98 out of 100 stayed. And so again, but what fear wants us often to do is to focus on the small things in our lives that are true and that we do need to learn for, but that don't define the entirety of our story. See, here's the false, the faulty thing, the faulty invitation that fear gave me as a leader in that moment is root your identity in the approval of others. Ooh, that's always dangerous. Root your identity in who your father says. Love and respect and listen to others wholeheartedly, but don't let your identity get caught in what they say about you in the criticism or the applause. Well, you don't have to be a leader to do that. For you, that could be someone that you love. It could be a million different places. You see, why are you looking for living among the dead? King Herod, the great, the king of the Jews, is dead. But King Jesus... The Prince of Peace, church, he is alive. History shows us who was truly great and who was only great in title. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. I can't say this, we can't say this more clear enough, is that unhealthy, unhelpful, or unholy fear only stops being your guide when it is replaced by holy fear. Not feeling no fear. That's shutting off. It's being replaced by holy fear, which as Pastor Lori shared, is the fear of the Lord. You see, his sons, his wives, his mother-in-law, here's what made King Herod so evil and wicked. Your innocence or your guilt did not matter when you stood before King Herod, you were subject to the wings, the whims of a man who was deformed in character and ruled by fear and insecurity. So your innocence or guilt had no relation on the bearing. But here's what I want us all to know. The Apostle Paul said it best. When every single one of us, and we all will, whether we're here or we're at home, we all stand before King Jesus. Here's one thing that is abundantly true. Every one of us is already guilty. None of us are innocent. But here's what's equally true, and it's the message of Christmas. Jesus isn't like any other king. It's Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for a singular reason, to take the punishment that we deserve to give us the gift of life that we could never earn. I want you to pay attention to Christmas carols. I want you to pay attention to Hallmark movies. I want you to pay attention to even Christmas classic films, and you'll see it again and again and again. The best story that we have to offer is this, that people who are nice get gifts, and those who are naughty need to become more nice. This is the best story that we can tell as humans. And I want you to know the gospel is altogether gift different because the gospel isn't whether or not you're naughty or nice. That's an important part of life, but it's not whether you've been naughty or nice. It is whether you've received this gift of grace, which none of us deserve. Because once again, it doesn't originate from our hearts. It originates from the heart of King Jesus for every single one of us. So again, in the Christmas carol, Scrooge becomes a better person. 
But the message of the gospel isn't only that you become a better person. Sure, it's that we grow to become more like Christ. But that must start not by us will, our willpower by making ourselves better, but by allowing Jesus to make us completely new. And there is a practice, an ordinance that Jesus gave us as his body that we are to remember and reflect on the truth of this, and it's called communion, and we're going to receive it together now. And so I'm going to invite you to find your emblem here, and if you could just open the tops, that would be wonderful. As you're finding your emblem, and the ushers will, will hand out some if we're missing, if you're at home, you can grab juice, crackers, bread, whatever you have on hand. Uh, we can partake in that together, whether you're here or whether you're at home. But as we do this together, let's appreciate the sacrifice of Jesus, which the bread and the cup symbolize. That Jesus is the true king, not only of the Jewish people, but now also Gentiles, that we are now grafted in. The bread symbolizes, the juice symbolizes. Let's allow the Holy Spirit today afresh to convict our hearts, as all of our hearts are inconsistent with the love of Jesus, every one of us. And then by praying together, let's first, before we receive communion, Jesus said we're to approach his table of remembrance in a specific way. Let's allow Jesus to forgive us as we walk in the power of his love for us, but also for others. So I'm going to invite all of us again, whether here or at home, together let's pray. Let's say, dear Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Forgive me of my sin and heal my heart. Help me to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.